Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you again this morning. Um, just so thankful for Emmanuel and just um, the the great affinity that I feel um, for for this place and um, just to get to be with you is always such a blessing. So thank you all um, for your hospitality and for um, for being willing to come and listen to me talk about the Old Testament, which is a, a, a great uh, joy in my life and a, a little bit of trepidation, I know, for, for a lot of us. So um, we're going to jump out of, of Luke, as, as Jenny said, and go into the book of Ecclesiastes um, for, for one Sunday. So here we go. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, I know Ecclesiastes, I'm sure, is a text that um, you've heard preached on a lot. I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever, well, I mean, that's probably not true, but I can't necessarily remember um, any time recently a sermon on Ecclesiastes. So, um, but I think it has some really good things to say to us uh, for where we are today. And in talking with Jenny this week, um, just kind of feeling this sense of, yeah, like there's something here for us and, um, and we want to listen to the Lord and listen to the Spirit and, and say, yes, come, come Holy Spirit and speak to us. So, um, so that's where we're going to go. So I'm going to give a little bit of um, background on Ecclesiastes before we actually read the text itself that we're going to talk about. Um, but so the question is sort of like why Ecclesiastes? Like what does, is it doing um, why is it even in our Bibles is a, is a question. There was, it, it wasn't necessarily going to be in our Bibles. So there was some debate over whether it should be there or not. But what Ecclesiastes does is ask the big questions um, of life. Like what is the actual meaning of life? What is it all about? And what it does is um, show someone who's wrestling with that question. And I think that's, that's a big deal. Um, that our Bible assumes that there will be times in our lives um, when, when what we thought we, we knew what was true um, or what we thought our life was supposed to be about, that we come to a place of asking questions about that. And I think that's where a lot of us are in the, right now. Like, I think that the pandemic did that for a lot of us in this moment was to say, here's what I thought was true about my life or here's what I thought my life was supposed to look like or be about. And then the pandemic hit and we found ourselves asking a lot of questions. Why am I in this job? Why do I live here and not somewhere else? Um, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? All of these things that seemed that we had been told maybe or thought were important, all of a sudden we weren't sure if that really held up. And so the seeking that we see in Ecclesiastes, what we are realizing, it happens to each one of us when we're, we're faced with an opportunity to kind of step back and to reevaluate. So Ecclesiastes lays that out for us. What does reevaluating look like? You've got questions, so do I. So let's go. Let's see what it has to say. Do the questions of life really hold up when they come under test? So let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 12 into chapter 2, verse 11. So let's read together and then we'll pray and we'll see what the text has to say to us. Verse 12 I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, 
applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me and my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my mind to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I said of laughter... It is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had spent in in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) I see some looks on your faces like, oh, where's this going to go? All right, let us pray. Come, Lord Jesus. God, we pray for your continued presence with us in these moments together. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to come to you with our honest questions, to lay them before you. When things are confusing and don't make sense, God, that we can do like the, the writer of Ecclesiastes and just say, what in the world? Where are you, Lord? And so we pray, God, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds today, that we might know you and we might see you, Jesus, for who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we have a, have a moment in front of us to, to kind of sit with these questions in, in Ecclesiastes 
and see what the Lord might say to us. So there are two things in this particular part of the text that, um, that the writer is looking at and saying, okay, I'm going to kind of go on this search to say, all right, I've been told that this should bring me satisfaction, so let me go look at this and see if that'll do it. And then he says, okay, that didn't do it, so now let's go to this. And throughout the book, we see him moving kind of from thing to thing. So there are two things in our text today that he's, that he's looking at. And the first one is he's on this search for wisdom. He's saying that if I can just attain enough knowledge, then I'll feel a sense of satisfaction. If I can gain enough information, then I'll feel at peace. If I can just master the information around me, then that'll be enough to, like, to really fulfill my life, right? To have a meaningful life means to, to know and to understand. And, and what is that? So like under that, that quest for knowledge, what's really driving it, do you think? For me, I think it's a sense of control, of mastery, like I was saying. The sense that if I can just sort of figure this thing out, then I can control it. And then I'll feel at peace, right? Then it will, it'll satisfy. Then I'll be able to like know what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to be. And um, then things will just feel okay. Does that resonate with you at all? It resonates with me big time. As Jenny mentioned, I really like to go to school. I'm about to start back to school actually in a couple of weeks. And I found within myself um, a few years ago that, that uh, burning desire to know things and like this sense of if I could just like, if I just read this book or if I just take this class or if I listen to this podcast, then it's all going to make sense and then I'll feel at peace and I would get past that and realize, oh wait, no, that didn't do it. Now, let me just say, I still buy a lot of books. I had four books come to my house yesterday. So it's not that... Um, that that quest is wrong. The thing is, is what is kind of driving that quest? And if that, that sense of drive is about trying to master something so I can control it and feel at peace, then there's a question there for us of why. Why are we doing that? And, what, and is that really the meaning of life? Is that really what's going to bring satisfaction to us? Is it really going to do what we want it to do? Whereas information can be a tool, it should not be our master. It should not be the thing that um, can, can, like, should control our lives necessarily. And yet we live in this information age, right, where we like have it at our fingertips at all times. And we can just like, if we have a question, we can just look it up. And the information is right there for us. And yet I think if we, where we may think have thought, oh, this is it, right? This is kind of, this is going to do it for us. This is going to make us feel like we're in control of our lives. Has that really happened? Or instead, has it made us more anxious? Because when we, because what we find is, is that it doesn't really satisfy. That we get to the end of it, we get the end of that quest, and we're still asking questions. And there's this sense of emptiness that we feel. And that's, I think, what the writer refers to as vanity. He says it's, it's vanity. 
It's our need to feel in control, and yet when we get to the end of it, we find that there's not, a, there's not the meaning that we thought there would be. When a tragedy happens, I don't know how you respond, but I know for me what I end up doing is like when something doesn't make sense, right? I just want to read and read and read. I want to consume, 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 so I can try to make sense of it. And what does that try to do? It tries to help me feel more and more in control. But instead, the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us that it's vanity. There's not control to be found on the other side of knowledge when we're only seeking to find control. And so he goes from that, and he says, okay, that didn't do it. Um, I tried to find what wisdom and knowledge to fill that hole, that gap within me, and that didn't work. So let's turn to something else. Let's search for pleasure. Let's go and look for um, the things that I can fill that void with that'll, that'll make me feel, feel better. And so I'm going to fill it with all these things that give me pleasure. And we see him detail this out, like in great detail, right? He lists houses. He lists food and wine. He lists servants. He lists wealth. He says, he talks about entertainment. Hello. <laughs> Hello. That sounds familiar. And here again, just like we did with, with wisdom, let's look under the, that next layer. So what is it that he's really searching for? What is it that we are really looking for when we're like, okay, if I can just amass enough things and possessions, if I can feel enough pleasure, then maybe I'll feel secure. And maybe I can be self-sufficient and not need anything. And then I'll feel whole. Then I'll feel satisfied. And he says, but he gets to the end of that again and again says, it's vanity. I searched and searched and searched. I amassed all these things. We're talking about um, the writer of Ecclesiastes who calls himself, is like, identifies as King Solomon, the, the king of Israel who reigned over this great um, the nation of Israel at its, at its peak, right? And, and who had vast amounts of wealth like no other king in Israel before him, in a time when Israel was living in peace and prosperity. Hello, Church of America. We live in peace and prosperity, and yet we're all looking around saying, what does this life really mean? These things that we thought, that we were told if we could just get the right job and the right house and the right um, possessions if we could, you know, that it would fill something within us. And I think that we can identify with the writer of Ecclesiastes and saying it feels like vanity sometimes. It feels empty. It didn't do for us what we thought it was going to do. And so um, we, we want it to make us feel secure. We want to feel self-sufficient and yet we look around and there's a sense of it feeling empty and also the fear that it might be taken away and then where is the meaning of life then what I think that the writer of Ecclesiastes is getting at is something that some writers um, call functional atheism this idea that we believe in God but yet we act like he doesn't really exist. That we're really on our own to make life happen. 
And so with this sense of like, well, I know God's out there, but the way that I really function in my life doesn't really show that. That I'm on my own. And that's when life starts to feel a sense of meaninglessness or futileness or emptiness. When I am on this drive to be self-sufficient, my life tends to lose meaning. And when we think that we're all alone and that God is not really working, we can tend to feel a sense of despair. So what is it, where does that leave us then? The book of Ecclesiastes, if he's going on this search and saying it's all vanity, it's all vanity, it's all vanity, then where does that leave us? But what we see in the book as we continue through it is this sense of he's holding this tension, which is to say all is vanity and yet, but yet God is here and we can enjoy life as God gives it to us. How do we, how do we live in that tension? <laughs> how do we, can we say life is vanity and yet let's enjoy it as God gives it to us? I think what that looks like is the acknowledgement of the presence of God. And even more than the acknowledgement of the presence of God, the submission to the presence of God within our life. To um, push against this desire to live as functional atheists and to assume that kind of live like God doesn't really exist. What would it actually look like if we lived like God was in control? We didn't have to be the ones in control but God was actually in control. What would it look like if we actually lived like we didn't have to provide everything for ourselves? We didn't have to, to always take care of ourselves, but that God actually provides for us and will walk with us and be with us. What would that look like? To see what that looks like, sometimes I think, I think it helps to, to get outside of our context and look at a different context. So I was listening to a podcast this week um, of a church leader from Estonia. And so Estonia is in Eastern Europe and not very far from, like right in the same region with the Ukraine. So if there's any part of the, the world right now, and there are lots of parts of the world, but that's one in particular we're aware of, right? That is in a place of um, their whole world just being taken down. And so, um, and so to hear kind of what's happening there helps us to get up another perspective, I think. And so the question, the, the, this interview that I heard, this podcast, it was with um, a church leader from Estonia. And the question that was put before him was, what does the, what's happening in the church in Eastern Europe right now with the crisis that's happening in the Ukraine? And it was amazing to hear his story, which was he said, what's happening in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe in, in general is that all the, all the disputes and all the things that like, all the extra stuff has just sort of melted away. And we see what's really important. And we see God and how he is working. Now, okay, <laughs> let's, let's stop. I mean, like it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? The sense of you would think that when things are at peace and things are easier, it'd be easier to see God, right? And yet what he was saying is, and he said, this is not just for us. Like this has happened, this happens throughout time, throughout like the history of the church. Um, that when the church is uh, under persecution or when there's like conflict that's happening, things get stripped away 
And all of a sudden, what really matters comes to the forefront. He's like, so what we're seeing in the church and also just within our nation in general is that these places of dispute that we've all been so like worried about and fixated on have just gone away. And there's a unity in the spirit that we haven't encountered before. And we're seeing God work in ways that we haven't seen him work before. He told a story about um, they're, they're, they're receiving refugees from the Ukraine. And so their, their particular church has doubled in size um, with these Ukrainians. And so now they're having to learn how to live together. What does it look like for these Ukrainians and for these Estonians to like live and worship together? And, um, and it's happening and it's working. But he told the story about some of the Ukraine refugees that had been hiding out for a couple weeks before they were able to get out of the Ukraine. And it was a group of like 10, the family of 10, who were all like crowded uh, underground while the bombings were happening. And he said the stories that they were telling was that, um, that all they had was like half a bottle of water and like one package of cookies for 10 people. And they survived for two weeks off of that because it never ran out. (laughs) The provision of God happening in ways that are so hard for us to understand or even see or even believe when we think it's all up to us. And yet we look at the testimony of the church throughout time to say it is possible. It is true if we're willing to believe it. So the second question that was asked to this leader of of the Estonian church was, what would you say to the American church? What is it that you want us to know? And he said, I want to believe that we don't have to have times of absolute crisis to have a sense of desperation for Jesus. And what would it look like to cultivate, he actually used the word cultivate, desperation, even in times of prosperity, in in times of plenty. That feels like a prophetic call, church. It feels like a prophetic call to us to say, what is it that we really believe? Do we really believe this Jesus and this gospel? And even when we look at the cross, when things look desperate, And when things looked like they weren't going anywhere, like that it was all over, we see God moving, God doing the impossible. Do we believe that it can happen to us? Do we believe it can happen in our time? Are we willing to cultivate a sense of desperation to say, I don't have to be in control and I don't have to be secure or be in charge of my own security, but I trust the Lord and the life that he has given as the writer of Ecclesiastes said and that's enough for me I'm trying to live into it it is hard <laughs> it is hard but I, I and I've I come face to face day in and day out with my need for self-sufficiency to provide for myself and to believe that I can make this thing happen on my own And I am faced day in and day out with that, the limitations of that, that we can't do it on our own. And the Lord never asked us to. He wants 
to take charge of our lives. He wants to work in our church. He wants us to be the people of God, his people. So I ask you, what does that look like? Not just for you individually, but for us as a community. What does it look like for us as the church to be the church and really cultivate dependence on the Lord? So what could this desperation look like? I wonder if like in our quest for knowledge and, or for information or even when we feel like we want to figure it out and be in control, can we stop and just ask the Lord, Lord, how are you working? Where are you? I can't see you, but I want to see you. I want to see what you're doing. Can you just pull the veil back and show me where you are and what you're doing? There's a great prayer Pete Scazzaro prays, which I just love, which is, God, how are you coming to me? And I wonder even as like as a community, if we would ask, Lord, how are you coming to us right now? And what would you have us to do? How would you have us to respond? So one is, yeah, looking for the ways that God is working. And then second of all, what if even in the enjoyment and in the pleasures of life, we're asking God how he's going to sustain us? and how he's going to provide for us. Are we willing to like take risks sometimes to say, this is not going to happen unless you show up, Lord. I mean, that is countercultural <laughs> for us. Um, but to say, like, I'm going to step out, Lord, because I feel like this is where you are and this is where you're calling me, and it feels risky, but I'm going to trust that you're going to show up and you're going to provide. So my question to you today is, how is God asking you to give up control? And how is God asking you to find security in him and not in the things that you can see? I'm wondering if it's possible to enjoy our lives rather than having to master them. And rather than assuming that it has to all be up to me to make it happen. What would that look like? Let's cultivate desperation for the Lord, even in times of plenty not wait for like the crisis to come. I think that could be our way to respond to, to what our, our world's been going through the last few years to say, Lord, we, we want to be your faithful people. We want to be different. We want to show the world something different, that we really believe this gospel, that we believe it changes the world and it changes our lives and that transformation is possible. And we're going to live that out as witnesses in the world. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, we just ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask, God, that you would work in us. God, help us to allow you to work in us, God, to cultivate our need for you that we don't have to do this on our own. But you are here and you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. 
And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.